September 15th is our last gathering at the Grotto. If this is your first time, thanks for coming tonight. These are great events. We do them once a month in the summers. So we'd love to see you at these. Here at Lourdes, uh, starting up this fall, RCIA, if you're not Catholic, if you have questions about the Catholic faith, or if you have friends who are not Catholic, I teach our RCIA class every Wednesday night. That starts September 14th uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. It's in the church basement. We also have adult faith formation starting the same night, September 14th, at St. Louis Parish. Father Vitold is going to be leading that. So if you want to go deeper in your faith, we encourage you to that. Um, at the end of the night, just to say this ahead of time, if you're around at the end of the night and could help us clean up, it just goes so fast and we have extra help. So if you could help us with that, that would be huge. Um, lastly, we always hope these events, uh, we get a lot of young adults. A lot of young adults, you're not necessarily plugged into one parish. Uh, if you're not plugged in, I would invite you to sign up for a parish. If you're looking for one, we would love to have you here at Lord's. Uh, Christianity is a team sport. We have to do things together. So we would love to see you here at Lord's. There's a table over there you can find that has registration and uh, people you can talk to ask questions. Okay. Tonight we have my good friend, Father John Neppel. So uh, Father John and I have been friends for uh, 18 years now. That's crazy. Uh, we've been friends for 18 years. Uh, we entered seminary together. We were ordained priests together. Uh, he and I, along with two other priests, are the founders of the Denver chapter of the Companions of Christ. Uh, Father John is the vice rector of the seminary here in Denver, St. John Vianney Theological Seminary. He teaches dogmatics. I'm still trying to teach him scripture uh, after all these years. But <laughs> cheap laugh. Um, but he's a good friend. He's a very talented priest and a gift to the Church of Denver. Um, so let's welcome up Father John Nepple. Everybody, thanks for being here tonight. Uh, it's a great honor. Uh, thanks, Father Brian Larkin, for hosting uh, a great party. Uh, my mom said to me this afternoon, she said, John, she's from Minnesota, John, uh, it's going to rain tonight, so if nobody comes to your talk, I still love you. So <laughs> thanks for coming. My mom uh, still loves me, but uh, it's good to see some people here tonight. And uh, we're just going to ride it out. Uh, Father Brian's going to call it if the heaven's open, but uh, if we get a little wet, we'll just kind of uh, be here. So... Uh, first, just two shout-outs to begin. Uh, my Queen of Peace ladies up front here. My last parish was uh, seven years ago. I went to Rome for four years, did a doctorate uh, in Mariology in the church, and now I teach at the seminary, so it's great to have you here. Thanks for being here. And then another shout-out to um, a couple that I picked up in marriage prep because they saw a video of the last talk I gave in this grotto, and the only reason they took me is because I was holding a beer, all right? <laughs> Chris White, there he is, right there. And his wife, Addie, uh, today's her birthday, so happy birthday to Addie. And Chris and uh, Addie just celebrated their one-year anniversary. And so amazing things happen when you're <laughs> holding the Coors in your hand and talking about something random. So I think the title of my talk is Mary. Is that right, Father Brian? Did you give any? I don't even know. I couldn't get, did anybody have any trouble getting a hold of Father Brian, right? I was like... Hey, what time is this talk on, on Thursday? So Mary Rogers helped me out, and uh, we're rolling here. But I, I do have a very specific thing in mind, but I love talking about Our Lady. Um, and so we're just going to kind of dive into it. I'm going to go about 30 minutes, 
Uh, and then Father Brian will cut me off because I get paid to talk and uh, need, to, need to just cut it back. And then we'll hopefully have some time for some questions. All right. So in July, I had a great opportunity to through-hike the Colorado Trail. And a number of the guys who are here were with me. The Colorado Trail, if you're not familiar with it, uh, is a series of trails that they put together and they finished in 1986. And it runs from Waterton Canyon, southwest of Denver, through the mountains to Durango, Colorado. 486 miles, 90,000 feet up, 90,000 feet down. Uh, it's something that it, when you grow up in this state, you dream of doing, especially as a through-hike, one time through. Um, and it was a wild experience. And there was a lot of storms that we hit. And it was always the same protocol. We'd hit about this point in the evening, and the rain started coming, and we would pl play Iron Maiden, if you like old metal, and put on face paint and just keep plowing through it, right? So if we have to pull out the uh, Iron Maiden tonight, we'll, uh, we'll do it. But uh, I have one particular memory that I'll share before going into the talk, which is um, the guys that I wit w was with were interesting characters. One of them was an Army Ranger, and I realized about, I don't know, 12 days into the trail that his whole purpose and intent was to kill a black bear, right? From my tent, okay? So we're all in my four-man tent every night for a month, and he's sleeping with a nine millimeter under his pillow, and I'm like, is that thing loaded? Because my head is like right next to yours. <laughs> and so they start to like accidentally leave food in the vestibule, and I was like, hey, not cool. What? This is like camping 101. And they're like, oh, oh sorry, bro. Day 18, I wake up and I'm like, what the hell is this? It's a Nutella canister opened, <laughs> laying by my sleeping bag. And I was like, this is not okay. He's like, I thought tonight was the night. I thought we were going to get that black bear. And I was like, you guys are literally psychos. This is crazy. So I was stuck with these guys for the month, and we had a lot of guys come on and off the trail, and it was an amazing experience. Life got very simple. You know, for 30 days of my life, I didn't have this thing. I talked to the people I was with. That was the only people I communicated with. They were immediately present to me. And things start slowing down and simplifying. And you start to kind of wake up again as a human being. And this is why anybody who loves the backcountry, you get it. And you become attuned spiritually to things that you never had before. And you start becoming aware of things that you often wouldn't be. And let me give you an example of that. Uh, as priests, we say Mass every day. But there's this thing called the colic prayer at the beginning of Mass. And it always starts with, let us pray. And then, blah, 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 through Christ our Lord, amen. I don't think ever in my life, I hate to admit this, uh, I've been moved by the colic prayer, right? I've never just dropped into mysticism and started levitating. This doesn't happen, okay? Um, but I was on the Caro Trail, and this prayer hit me. And it's the way I want to frame the conversation tonight around Our Lady, all right? Now, the funny thing is, um, I was spiritually kind of more attuned, but I was also physically exhausted all the time. So the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel happens on, Jul on July 16th. And I finish this beautiful mass, give this homily about this prayer, very moved by it. And then a guy turns to me and he's like, dude, today is July 9th. Uh, the f you just celebrated that a week early. So I was like, oh, okay. So we got two <laughs> feast days of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. But I was moved nonetheless. And here's the prayer. May the venerable intercession of the glorious Virgin Mary come to our aid, we pray, O Lord, so that fortified by her protection, we may reach the mountain, which is Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Fortified by the protection of Our Lady as our guide, we may reach the mountain, which is Christ. 
I've studied Mariology for a lot of years, but this prayer, something about it shifted my approach, and I want to kind of unpack it today in three ways. But the, if I was going to give a title to what we're talking about, it's Mary's the Guide, Christ is the Mountain. Mary's the Guide, Christ is the Mountain. All right, so let's, let's go into this. We live in a world that kind of knows Jesus and kind of talks about Jesus. We're kind of loosely Christian. But you dig below the surface a little bit and you realize, actually, we're not. We're very post-Christian. We're very post-modern in the way that we think. The way that we engage reality, the worldview, you could call it, is no longer Christian. But we presuppose it because there's kind of this Christian veneer, all right? And many of you experience this in your workplace, right, in families, in yourselves. There's kind of a superficial way of doing the Christian American thing that doesn't really require much. And this leads people to do stupid things, such as put a bumper sticker on your car that says, God is my co-pilot, okay? Now, my apologies if there are five cars in the lot that have this. But I think that that is a fundamentally messed up thing to put on your car, okay? And again, not judging you at all if you did this, right? Mike DeGuitis, I love you, all right? Don't worry about it. God is my co-pilot. Is he your co-pilot? Are you, are you the pilot? Really? Actually? Is that the case? Not so much. I think that we have to get back to a fact of saying, what is Jesus Christ? What is the reality? What is the fact? And you're saying, I came to hear a talk about Mary. And you are hearing a talk about Mary. Because Mary is a Christological reality. Mary is all about Christ. And you can only understand Mary in light of Christ. A lot of my friends who are not Catholic get confused by the way we sometimes present her, and they think this is like this goddess that you worship, right? And we have to kind of move away from that by deepening our understanding of it. Mary is a Christological reality. So let's go back to God the co-pilot, or dog my co-pilot, which is very clever. Uh, I appreciate that, you know. And they're, they're giving us a hard time because we have this buddy-buddy thing with Jesus. Like, he's just my buddy, and he just kind of shows up and kind of makes my life good when I feel sad. And I don't really need to go to Mass on Sundays. Like, my, you know, I discover God in the mountains, all this kind of stuff that we've all said, okay? But at the end of the day, like, this, who is this man who claims to be God? And what does Mary have to say about that? That's really the question. So that's one thing, just acknowledging kind of the temptation towards a superficial engagement with Christ. We've got to move beyond that. The second thing is to acknowledge the way the world locates Christ within the plurality of religions. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about a word called syncretism. Syncretism is a way, a worldview, a way of thinking and reflecting about the religious experience of man by saying that all religions are different expressions of man's kind of desire for the transcendent. The kind of classic thing you hear is Christianity, among with other religions, are different paths up the same mountain. Everybody's kind of working their way up, the Buddhists, the Muslims, the Jews, Christians, everybody, their own way, they're moving their way up the mountain, and we're all kind of coming to the same place, which is this kind of noumenal experience of God. Okay, that sounds nice. That sounds very kind of peaceful and very PC. Problem is it just doesn't work for us as Christians. Go back to that prayer. Christ isn't a way up the mountain. He's the mountain. And that for me changes everything. But it's hard to get our heads around it. 
Christ is not, he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, and so yes, indeed, he is the way, but the way is the mountain itself. Christ is the ascent, and that's what Our Lady and our church are talking about when they say, pray and reflect on not just Jesus as your buddy who's kind of with you, your friend. That's true, and I don't mean to mock that, but there's a mystery to the ascent to God which happens on the mountain, which is Christ. So there I was, day 18. I got this guy with a 9 millimeter. Like, we're trying to kill bears. Like, Nutella's everywhere. There's rainstorms. Iron Maiden's playing. There's a lot of face paint on. We're basically becoming total savages at this point. But I'm thinking about every mountain I go over. I'm like, why are we drawn to the mountains? Why are we living in Colorado? I met some people here tonight, just moved here. I love it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to Lourdes. This is the best parish in the Archdiocese. I'm so proud of these guys for what they're doing. Why are we drawn to the mountains? Why are we drawn to the heights? Well, Jesus Christ is intimately connected with that. Absolutely part of it. Because spiritually what you're doing when you climb mountains and you go over them is you are imitating in a physical manner what Christianity is in a spiritual form. And that's a really beautiful and powerful thing. So we got to break out of this kind of syncretism, out of this sense that kind of all religions are equal. When we say that all religions are equal, we're not saying that we're better than others. We're just saying that the way that Jesus reveals himself is fundamentally different than any other religious leader or expression ever. And it wasn't because we're better. It's because he's different. Because he claims to be God. So Christ is the mountain. And this leads to the second part of it. Mary as the guide. Mary as your climbing guide. That's an interesting thing to reflect on and to think about. Mary is often portrayed as kind of the statue, right? And when you're little, it's like, okay, go pray to Mary, right? And there she, there she is on the statue. She's not a real person. So Mary becomes the guide up the mountain, which is Christ. That's just a very different way of kind of reflecting on and thinking about the Christian faith and the Christian life. Mary and Christ are not in opposition. Mary is the guide. Christ is the mountain. Okay, so we unpack that a little bit. First off, why do we go to guides? We go to guides when we're out of our ability. I had a great opportunity to climb in the uh, Swiss Alps a couple years ago when I was living in Rome. I had no idea what I was doing. The first time, I, my mom doesn't know some of these stories, but first time I was like, I'm going to climb the highest peak in Switzerland, do for Spitza, brought some people with me. We got up there, and it was like, Okay, we're going to go back down right now because this is like totally insane and we have no idea what we're doing. Next time I came back, had a guide successfully climb the peaks that I was about. You go to guides when you don't know what you're doing. You get a guide when you are in terrain that is beyond you. And so Mary, and thinking of her as a guide, says to us, well, I'm not going to be interested in that if I'm totally in control of my life and everything is fine. And I don't need anybody to really help me. But if you feel like you're getting into terrain, maybe it's in marriage preparation, maybe it's just you're out of college, maybe it's you're 40 years in and you're going through a critical moment of life, dealing with suffering, whatever. When you're looking for guidance, for the guide, for the person to say, where is the next handhold? How far is this ridge? How the hell are we going to get up that thing? If you're looking for those questions, there is a guide in the Catholic Church. There are many guides called the saints, but there's one preeminent guide which is totally unique and totally and unbelievably distinct in the order of grace, and that's Mary, the mother of God. So how is Mary a guide? Okay, so we think of Mary as a mother, and she is. She's the mother of God. 
And when God is born in us, in Christ, through baptism, she becomes our mother. So we call her mother of the church. But Mary is also the archetype of what it means to be Catholic. So we look to Mary to understand how to live in relationship to Christ. The same way of saying we look to Mary to figure out how we climb the mountain, which is Christ. Mary's life is completely and utterly unique. Why? Because she was given a provenient grace at the beginning of her life that radically transformed everything. We call that the Immaculate Conception. Right? Sorry for the rain, ladies. Right? I wish I could make... You already told me you're not in control, right? All right? It's good. Motherly wisdom, you're not in control, okay? But Mary was given grace, one grace, in order that she could make one act, which is called her fiat. So God becomes man in the incarnation, the central act of all history, the definitive thing that every Christian builds its life on. God became man, a fact. It happened historically. This is what we build it on. Mary is intimately involved in that moment, so much so that God hinges his action on her response. And her response, the most beautiful words ever uttered, fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum, let it be done unto me according to thy word. Fiat, let it be done. Let the rain happen. Let the guys kill the black bear. Let life happen. We don't want to let it happen. We want to pretend like we can control the rain. We want to pretend like we control the army ranger with the nine millimeter in your tent. Whatever the circumstances of your life happen to be. Mary says the posture of the Christian, the posture in relationship to Christ, the way you climb is by surrender, by making a fiat with your life. Turn in 39, which means I'm close to the cliff of 40, right? And anybody under the age of 38 seems to remind me all the time how old I am, John Fraker, who's also here. Thank you very much. The older you get, the more you realize how powerless we are in life and how quickly it passes and how absolutely necessary it is to have a guide who can lead us into Christ more deeply. So if we're desirous of climbing the mountain, which is Christ, we turn to Our Lady, who is the model and who is the guide. All right, so that's number one. I'm going to make three points, and then we're going to run inside because the rain's coming. But all right, got to watch the time. We're on it. Okay. Number two, I was thinking about um, this notion of limitations because when I was on the Colorado Trail, um, I got pushed to my max, right? There was one point we're going up this, uh, this serious kind of pass in the San Juans, and I'm just kind of fried. And this 24-year-old guy with me puts his arm around me and goes, man, I hope I'm doing this at your age. And I was like, <laughs> he's in seminary now. I'm like, you're, you're mine. You're toast. I hope I'm doing this at your age. I'm like... Just took a breath for a second. Come on. So limitations are felt as we get older. Limitations. And limitation was something I experienced on the Colorado Trail. You would hit these moments where you're just like, this is it. I can't give anymore. But we got to get to camp, and we're in a rainstorm, or whatever's happening, you have to push through it. And my dad, who's also here, uh, had these great bits of wisdom in our childhood, my dad's an army ranger also and uh, does not sleep with a nine millimeter under his bed. Thanks be to God. But he would say to us when we were boys, he would say, you can push your body so much farther than your mind says you can. It was one of these kind of things that we grew up with. You can physically push beyond it. And as I was thinking today about the notion of limitations, which I think is a key way of reflecting on Mary as a guide, and we'll get to that in a second, 
You could say as a general norm, this is not an absolute norm, but you could say when it comes to limitations, fathers teach us how to push beyond them and mothers teach us how to embrace them. Fathers teach us how to push beyond our limits. Mothers teach us how to embrace it. Dad says you can go harder. I believe in you. Mom said, no one's going to come to your talk tonight, but I still love you, right? <laughs> your limitations. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this notion of limitations, and how do we reflect on that spiritually, especially in light of Mary and the experience of following Christ? On Saturday, I had a chance to be on a supply team for a guy who did the Leadville 100, okay? Absolutely insane. If you're not familiar with this, if you just moved to the Leadville 100, is an annual uh, ultra marathon that starts in Leadville, ends in Leadville, 50 miles up into the mountains, 50 miles back, 16,000 feet of elevation gain, over 100 miles. You have to complete it in 30 hours. This guy did it in 24 and a half, right? And it was pouring rain on him constantly. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen. I have never watched somebody push beyond their mental limits as I saw him do it. And it was absolutely unbelievable. And I was just on the support team. I'm just, just handing him things uh, at 4 o'clock in the morning as he's running the last couple miles in. Totally unbelievable. But you also watched people in the Leadville 100. Only 45% of the people actually finished the race. But you watched people like physically damage themselves sometimes for life. And so you're, you're just asking that question of like, how are human limits? How far do we push beyond them? And that at what point do we stop pushing them? Because what's next after you do the Leadville 100? If you're, if you're living in a secular environment and it's just the next thing and the purpose of your life is to remove limitations, then you just keep going and going and going and going and going. And you see this if you're on Strava, like, like Father Brian is. No, I'm just joking. He's not anymore. But there's this sense that like we have to push beyond all limitations. And there's a lot of really miserable people trying to do that. And so somehow there's this paradox that we have to walk between pushing physically beyond what we're capable of doing and also saying, I've done what I can, and this is it. In the Christian life, we would divide it in two different ways. We would say, hike the Colorado Trail. Do the Leadville 100 if you're a psychopath, okay? Go for it. Push yourself physically. Why? Because the conquest of self does translate into spiritual things. Working out does matter with your body for your soul. If you're living a lazy existence and you're eating Chick-fil-A all the time, which I love Chick-fil-A, but if that's what you're living on all the time, you're not, believe it or not, you're not going to want to get up and make it to the 11 o'clock mass at this parish or whatever. You're just going to want to keep sleeping. So the body and the soul do play together intimately. But tying this back to Mary, she has been for me personally the one that helps me understand my limits from a spiritual perspective as a mother, which is to say that I am radically limited and I don't want to live in limitations. This is what's so fascinating about human beings is we're made for the limitlessness, which is God. We actually hate living in limitations. Let me give you an example. I have a distinct memory from about eight years ago where my brother and I were skiing in Copper Mountain, and we hiked up to the top of this bowl, and we pulled out the whiskey, and we had a pull, and the sun, it was a bluebird day in March, sweet powder, we're about to ski down, and I was just like, Steve, this is the greatest moment ever. And he goes, agreed, right? This is the greatest moment ever. That moment is gone. 
and that moment is never coming back. And you want to grab those moments and you say, this is it. This is heaven. This is everything that I've desired. And it's gone. Because you're limited by what? Time and space. And I think one of the reasons we go to the mountain heights is because it gives us a sense of at least a bit more unlimited spatial experience, right? But the limitless that our hearts are made for is God who is limitless and not created. So insert Mary, a 13-year-old woman who offers the word that radically transforms all of creation. St. Thomas Aquinas says that Mary offers her fiat on behalf of all of creation, which means that she's offered it on behalf of you. And that's really helpful in times when you don't feel like you're making a fiat with your life. Mary teaches us how to be creatures. Mary teaches us how to acknowledge our limitations. And yeah, when you're 23 and life is limitless, literally, right? Infinite time, maybe when you're 21 and you're in college, not 23 necessarily, right? But when you're in college and it's just like, I have just this infinite expanse of social experience and I don't really have to study it all, right? That's awesome. And then it passes. And then you're here and you're working and life just got real, right? And then you have children. And all of a sudden you realize life is moving. And life is definite. It's defined. I can't go back. I can't marry a different person. I can't choose a different vocation. Everything is limited. And this is where the world rebels against limitation and desires to be God. And it's where the postmodern ethos really manifests itself in the form of Nietzsche, in the form of Marx, whatever it might be, the collective, the individual, the, the will to power, right? Whatever it might be. There's all these different ways that we're saying, I will defy what it means to be a creature by becoming God. And that is where we radically depart and kind of place ourselves under the mantle of Mary. Limitations, especially on a metaphysical level, okay, so on a level of your being, on a level of your existence, have to be acknowledged. And we have to realize that the world that we're living in is obsessed, absolutely obsessed with self-creation, which means I am not defined by any limitation. And we see this in the ideological forces that are playing out. The most extreme right now is gender ideology, which is happening, which is a whole other topic. But it shows something deeper, which is that we hate being creatures. We hate being limited. Why? Because to be a creature means to be intrinsically in relationship. You cannot be in relationship with God if he is the creator and you are creation. But if you defy that and say, I will create myself, I will define myself free of the limitations that time, space, religion, culture, family, everything, nature put on me. If you take that route, which is what the world is offering, it gives this false promise that you can be God. This is Promethean, right? This is the Titans. This is taking and grasping what is not ours. You contrast that with Mary in her humble posture of fiat, which says, I am radically limited. I am the doulos of the Lord. I am the handmaid of the Lord, literally the slave. I live in service of one greater than me. Mary's whole life is a movement into deeper obscurity, into non-comprehension, until she's utterly and totally conformed to her son in a moment of absolute powerlessness as he's dying on the cross. Mary is the model for how to walk with Jesus because she teaches us how to be created, how to be limited, how to understand ourselves in light of who we are. I think Mary 
absolutely has everything to say to teach you about who you are. And if you're like me, the temptation is to get up in the morning, live your life, and attempt to self-interpret yourself. And if you've ever done that, you know how insane you are, right? I see some psychologists laughing in the back here, right? It is totally impossible to understand who you are. You cannot self-interpret. You are an utter and complete mystery to yourself. Why? Because you're limited. You are absolutely limited. You didn't give yourself being. You don't have the will on your own. Everything is a gift. Everything is given. And that's maybe the final word as we kind of conclude this, is that if you follow the path of Mary to recover your creatureliness and begin the ascent of Christ, which is the way of surrender and humble trust in the reality as it presents itself, which means living in the tension, which means being okay with the mess, which means not having it all together, which means living a radically human life. If you're okay with that and you begin that ascent up the mountain, which is Christ, the mystery of the hypostatic union of divinity and humanity, making your way to the Father. If you do that and you give your whole heart to it and Mary as your guide, she will teach you not only how to be a human, but she will teach you the joy that comes with being a child. Children receive. And Mary is the most childlike heart that the world has ever known. She's also the fullness of humanity. I like to think that Mary was actually very funny, okay? And very human and very interesting to talk to, right? She's not just blissed out in prayer in some kind of side chapel, okay? I think she was an utterly captivating and unbelievable person. You think of the most fascinating person you've ever met, the most amazing woman you've ever met. If Mary is the fullness of humanity, then she's got to be an unbelievable personality. She's not some static, weird thing floating in the sky, kind of zapping you with God's grace, right? This is how people think and sometimes even talk. Mary is utterly and completely real and so totally human. I remember sitting in a chapel in Chicago. There's a beautiful church called Marytown in the side chapel, Our Lady of Sorrows. If you ever go there, check it out. There's this image of her, and it says, Tolta pulcra est Maria. Mary is total beauty. You could also say, Tolta Humana est Maria. Mary is totally human. So if you're living at that level, if you're living at that depth where you're saying life is good, life is a gift, my faith is real, but I desire to go deeper, you need a guide. You need someone who can walk you into the depths of the human heart, some of which will be scary, but one who has passed through the darkness of death with her son and was the first to experience him in the resurrection. This is the mystery of Mary, the perfect witness, the perfect disciple. Not a source of worship, not a source of anything other than humble service to the God-man, which is the center of everything. So Mary's our guide. Christ is our mountain. Let's begin the climb. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Stop it some more. Keep it coming. I'm just joking. All right. My, my only rule is there's no complimenting Father John. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. So we have, as per usual, we'll do about, I don't know, depending on how long they take, four or five questions, maybe a few more. Um, so if you have a question, if you want to make your way up to this microphone, we want everybody to be able to hear it. Uh, 
I do, and she's right. Father John, awesome job. I did invite Father Brian on the car out trail, but he told me if I can stay in a hotel every night, I'm totally in. <laughs> I'm still waiting for Mary Rogers to get back to that email. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't have a great comeback right now. Okay. I, to, to start things, I always feel like it's good for me to start off Q&A. kind of helps people to maybe think a little bit about their questions. So, <coughs> Father John, Nepilepsy, if I may. Um, no, so, the, so I love that, the idea of Mary as limitation, embracing our limitation. So on the individual level, we talked a lot tonight about as human beings, how do we embrace our finitude? How do we embrace our creatureliness? Could you just speak a little bit to that as a church? Right, right, right now in our current historical moment as a church, the church, I would say, is waking up. There's a lot of life in circles here and other parishes in Denver and other places. Uh, and I think a lot of us desire the church to be stronger, which I think is a good desire on a certain level. But Mary, right, there's something about weakness and limitation and humility. And so as a church, not just as an individual, how do we think about that? Yeah. That's a great question. Thanks, Brother Brian. Uh, my high school was Littleton High School just down the street here, and our senior song, I don't know who selected this, was Imagine by John Lennon, which, sorry, Dad, I know you love the Beatles, but I hate that song so much. Uh, and the reason I hate it is because what he, I mean, it's important to acknowledge it. Why does the song resonate for decades with so many people? He's presenting a dream. It's a dream world. And we're always looking for the dream. We want to live in this illusion, this dream. This is why the, the, the rise of psychedelics are so pronounced right now in our, in our culture. We want to escape finitude because finitude is like, a, it feels like a cage. I can't grasp at that perfect moment. I can't live. I can't remake myself at the age of 39. So that's ideology where you take an idea and you create a dream and you rebuild that. Marxism is the most compelling and captivating dream in our culture right now. And I take that on the authority of Jordan Peterson, who I think is a very serious and thoughtful man. These are dreams. Ideologies are dreams. And the thing we have to acknowledge as Catholics, and Father Brian and I talk about this a lot, is to say that we're not above that, and we're not free of that. We can live Christianity out in an ideological way, which means we can dream up, this is what the perfect church looks like. This is what the perfect liturgy is, and this is how I know. This is the right form of being Catholic. We move beyond just a fundamental orthodoxy and the, the basic structures of the life of faith, and we bring an imposition and say, this is the way things have to be. And unfortunately, we're living in a time where consumerism is such a dominant way that we think. Consumerism is not just something you do when you click on Amazon. Consumerism is something that affects the way that you think about everything. I go to this parish. I don't find the community that fits me. So where do I go? Somewhere else. Everything is transactional. I go to this mass. I get this thing. And Father Brian and I have talked about this a lot. And we conti we're continuing to go to extremes in the church. Why? Because we're falling victim to the dreams of ideology. And I think we have to just kind of sober up a bit and say, okay, what is the tradition? What are we about? Let's commit wholeheartedly to that. And let's have Mary teach us how to posture ourselves and to be Catholic. So, thank you.
Father John, thank you so much for tonight's talk. It was wonderful. Always enjoy hearing your talks and reflections. Um, my question is a bit twofold. I wonder if you could speak to um, the encouragement for us to have Mary teach us. What does that look like? Maybe what has that looked like in your own life? In terms of your prayer life, um, you know, we hear uh, Ignatian spiritual exercises and uh, Lexio Divina and scripture and all these ways to um, pray with the Lord and have him guide us and teach us and speak to us. Uh, and I'm curious what you would say to how do we hear Mary's voice in our life? How do we hear her, her specific practical guidance in our day-to-day -day lives? Um, and I am curious if you would have anything to offer one thing that is so um, compelling to me and attractive to me about Mary is learning from her how to walk with someone that you love who is suffering deeply and in a way that you have no control over. And how do you carry and be honest about, we talk about Our Lady of Sorrows, carry your sorrow for that person that you love, but do not despair. So that's my question. That's a great question. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Um, you know, one of the most powerful things that I see happening in people's lives is the surrender novena. Are you familiar with that? Um, if you're not familiar with that, you really should get your hands on this thing. Um, it's this very interesting mystic who was a priest in, in Naples. He died in the 70s. He was friends with uh, Padre Pio. But this thing is kind of circulated throughout. And it's a very simple prayer. Whenever I get stuck in anything, just just stuck in life, just spinning in resentment or frustration or anxiety or whatever. I just pick that thing up, and I just start into it. And I'm terrible at novenas. I barely finish them ever. But this one is, it, it works. And it's just very simple. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. That's, that's Mary, Mariology, and it's just utter distillation right there, is Mary is the one who just doesn't grasp when things get out of control. So the Pieta in Rome is kind of the perfect artistic image of Mary just holding the dead Christ. And it's such a powerful thing if you've ever seen it before. I mean, in life, it is just so unbelievable. It's so massive. But that's really the posture of her fiat is that Mary allows Christ to die for us. And she, in her permitting that to happen, actually participates in the act itself. And so I think learning the way of surrender and trust and just a humble confidence in God, accompaniment, abiding with people, receptivity of things. This is kind of the Marian posture towards reality, especially towards people that are suffering. It's not passive. It's radically active. In fact, it's more powerfully active than fixing somebody's problem or fixing their life. Father Brian and I are in a fraternal group. We have been for years. We meet every two weeks. We do a review of life. And he is walking with me but he's not fixing my problems. And he probably could, because let's be honest, other people see our problems and see our baggage more than we do, okay? And Mary is the one who just teaches this posture of receptivity, which is profoundly active, profoundly engaged. So, Grace, I hope that's, uh, that's an okay start. That's a great question. Thank you. Thank you so much for your talk. I feel like you've given us a lot to think about. I think when you brought up syncretism, pardon me if I'm murmuring incorrect, syncretism, syncretism and 
recognizing your limitations, it made me think about um, one of my best friends from medical school who is also a strong Christian and, you know, has the general same belief as pro-life, but her dad and her brother both um, are IVF doctors, and I've never been able to figure out how to start a conversation with her to help her see that there's some discordance with how she views what being pro-life is and what, what Jesus intends for us. Do you have any advice on someone who already believes in Christianity, already, you know, reads the Bible and believes in it, and, and maybe showing them that the way the Catholic Church views things might make sense with the Jesus that they know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a great question. One of, the, one of the things that Father Brian and I both love doing is teaching RCA, and there's a couple guys here who I've walked with over the years, and I remember some of them, we get to a very particular point where they're dissecting everything, we're talking about everything, and, and usually Mary is like right there on the end. That's a, like kind of the last hurdle, because it really is hard to think in terms of this, you know? But at a certain point, you have to say, are you willing to receive the Catholic faith in its fullness, yes or no? Like, it's just not an option to kind of say, I'm, I'm taking this, I'm taking this, I'm taking this. There, there was an era when that was kind of more fashionable. It's becoming impossible. Uh, and I think that the first Marian act we all have to make is to receive the fullness of the truth from the church, looking at humanity and saying, my God, I don't want to be a part of this thing, but saying, I believe that through this human instrument, divinely founded, is the way that the Holy Spirit is communicating it, because Christ very clearly weds his message through the church. And so the modern temptation is to deny the authority of the church and to try and kind of rebuild and kind of pull pieces together from Christ, that, but that doesn't ultimately hold together. So I think it's that, that posture of receptivity. First and foremost, you don't make yourself Catholic. You don't receive what the faith is. It begins by receiving. So thank you. Hi. Um, so I've been uh, I've been going on this faith journey recently. With me, it's kind of a lack thereof. But I would assume that you're a man of great faith. So my question for you is, not only where does that faith come from, but how are you able to have as much as you do? Uh, thank you. I unfortunately uh, can't agree with what you just said. Uh, I am not a man of much faith. And I'm not saying that just because that's, that's like the humble thing to say. I'm actually saying that because I believe it. And he can attest to that. <laughs> uh, I, there's a point when you, you begin the life in Christ. You start up the mountain. And there's a lot of self-reliance built into it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make myself Catholic. I'm going to make myself faithful. And then you hit a certain point where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. And you feel like you're regressing. Yeah, I actually said this to my seminarians last week. I was preaching to them, and I said, boys, when you get into the last few years of seminary, and you're about to be ordained a priest, and you feel like all of a sudden the walking, the, the, the walking you know, thing is like moving backwards, and you're like, I am, I'm going to be horrible. I'm actually worse. You're on the right path. And I actually believe that, that the deeper you go in Christ, the more you realize your poverty and the absolute lack of faith. We don't make ourselves faithful. Um, so you're actually in a really good spot, and you're asking a really good question. And we're not above that, and we don't have some technique to say this is how you do it. You're hitting precisely into it, and I think that's wh all the more reason why we need Mary. So as a final word on that, when you go to Mass, Father Brian will say, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. This is after the consecration. 
and we will say, look not on our sins, but on the faith of the church. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of the church. Who is the faith of the church? It's Mary's faith. So there's a beautiful act in those moments when you hit vertigo, crisis, confusion, weakness. Just throw your heart into that altar and say, Mary's faith is what sustains the heart of the church, and I just need to live from that. And the rest will, it'll work out. So thank you. First of all, Father, thank you. Um, very, very good to hear your thoughts. I uh, really appreciate them. Uh, even if you are a man of, of little faith, you are still a priest, and so in many ways you are a spiritual guide. Uh, and so I wanted to ask kind of what you've taken and what you've learned from Mary as our guide um, and, and what you've learned from her, yourself being a spiritual guide, but specifically as, as a, an imperfect and broken guide, um, one who is probably quite frequently yourself in need of guiding. Yeah, so you become a priest. I was 27. Brian was 65 when he was ordained. Um, you know, but you get ordained and you, you don't know what you're doing, right? It's just like all of you who are parents, it's like there's no manual for this. You just kind of jump right into it. And you are supposed to guide people. And you find yourself saying, uh, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really know the terrain that we're following. Uh, I've always wanted to ski Silverton Mountain, which is down in southwestern Colorado, because the terrain is so extreme that you actually have to have a guide with you. And that's how I think of Mary, is that, you know, you start, you learn how to ski, um, and the priest, I, I would put us as kind of like ski patrol in some ways, right? We're not running ski school. It's nice that Father Brian you know, teaches and does our saving things, but really, like, our job is to help you when you're killing yourself, right, on the mountain, like ski patrol. So there's a kind of guidance, but there's kind of a spiritual care as well. Mary's just the model in terms of, um, she knows all the terrain of the spiritual life. So, and uh, again, you're going to pray, but she's not going to just tell you what to do. You just have to study her life, which is so mysterious. Like, the crazy thing about Mary is that the more you go into the gospel, the more she disappears. She doesn't just become the superstar at the end of the story. Like, she dissolves into the mystery of her son. And that's part of the logic of the Christian life, is that she doesn't want to be the protagonist. And part of the problem is, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as spiritual guides to be like, I got to help you being the protagonist of your life. And we tell kids this in school, not this school, but growing up, you're the center of the universe. Right? You are everything. Every, you just become whatever you want to be. And that, that's just not going to work. So being a guide is, means that we have to live this Marian logic of you actually, it actually becomes more about Christ than it becomes about you. And if we don't look to her, we're not going to do that as guides. And if we make it all about us, then we're really in trouble and it's going to crush us. So good question. Pray for us. Thank you. Hello, Father. My name is Alexis. Uh, good night to, or good evening to everyone here present. Like two white claws in, they hid them from me. <coughs> but uh, I guess it's not really a question. It's more of just, like, I agree with what you said, like, 100%. Mary, she, at her age 13, she didn't question, you know, that the angel visiting her in their dreams. It's like, all right, if this is what you want from me, I'll do it. 
and I think that all of us here, you know, gathered around, we all believe in God. We all are in search of something that only he could give us that, yeah, he could only give us nothing in, in this world, material, people, that's not going to fill us, fill our hearts, our souls. That's not going to give us our salvation. And with Mary, it's beautiful, the rosary. So it's like, you know, I know how to say it in Spanish, not English. I'll practice that. But it's just beautiful reflecting on um, that she's praying for us, like, at every moment. Uh, now, now, and at the time of our deaths. So it's like. We're, you know, hanging out, having a good time, eating a burger, but she's out there just praying, asking God to allow us into his kingdom. And just me personally, this past year I've been, yeah, really bad. I haven't been in a good spot. And, I mean, what could I say since since I was little? I've been given everything. I haven't suffered. I don't know what it is to, yeah, I haven't suffered. And I just think that throughout this year God has, humbled me for sure that I'm not a god I don't I'm gonna be dust eventually but his kingdom will live on his word is firm forever and like you said nowadays we're so relative to oh I'll go to mass next week like we put things for next week when in the mornings I go for walks now and I was listening to the the gospel and it's like say you have your house right you have your alarm your ADT whatever all right, that's fine, but you don't know when someone's going to go in and, like, break in and try to steal from you, right? You don't know that. If you knew that, you'd be there at that moment. So it's like you have to live your day as if it were your last, really. In a good way, you're not going to go out and, you know, drink a whole bottle of tequila and start driving. Like, that's reckless. That's not, that's not safe. That's not what God wants from you. He wants you to use, like you said, everything that we have present, like, he has given to us our life it's it's free our brain our arms everything is free i didn't pay anything for it but we take it for granted because we're such a mindset of consuming it's like oh you have i don't know birkenstocks oh well, look at him you know i don't know how much they cost but people just look at the brand and they're just so fixated on that that that's not right that's not what god wants from us he he was born in such a humble where was he born nazareth no Bethlehem, um, you know, to the Virgin Mary, um, Joseph, who, Jose in Espanol, but Joseph, he's a, he's a carpenter, you know, he's not, like, there's nothing wrong, but he's not an executive with a suit and, like, driving a Mercedes, like, yeah, if that's what you, whoever does that, that's fine, congratulations, like, you deserve it, you worked hard for it, but this guy, he was very humble, and, and he didn't, he didn't ask anything for us, from us, he gave it all. He died on the cross up there. Like, I could only imagine back, like, getting crucified. That's very humiliating back in those times. Yeah. Hey, I, I will that? say to that, there's a lot in there. Hold on a second. Let me just, I'm going to have to cut you off because. Sorry, uh, I don't have a question. I no, was just saying that. No, I, I appreciate what, what you're said. saying. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know. Like. Did you say Joseph was Jose in Spanish? No, yeah, it's sure. Jose. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. Okay, gotcha. but, uh, uh, I would just, I would add to what you're saying, and thank you for your comments. Um, yeah. what, one of the things Father Brian wanted me to talk about that I didn't get to was, um, when Our Lady of Lourdes, when Our Lady appeared at Lourdes, and this is similar with Guadalupe, one of the main things she focused on was poverty, the absolute necessity of living from poverty. And that doesn't mean destitution. That doesn't mean we don't own Birkenstocks or whatever. 
but it means spiritual poverty, which is humility, is the posture of Our Lady, and that's the posture for fiat. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So we got to let this guy go before no, it's our final fine. one. I just so yeah. To share that, like, yeah. Thank you very much. Just Appreciate pray the it. rosary and God will bless everyone. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. We can let one more. This is going to be an interesting question. You got one, Alex? I was going to cut it out. So apparently let Fisher, <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be an interesting one. Hey, Father. Yeah, how are you doing? I was Good wondering if you could talk to us about the complement and balance of uh, Our Lady as guide and the Holy Spirit that we receive in baptism as our guide. Okay, good. Uh, Our Lady as Guide and the Holy Spirit as Confident. Yep. Fantastic. I knew it would be good. So <laughs> I did this wedding a couple years ago. We had a great time in marriage prep. So the Holy Spirit, uh, we describe Mary as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? So the third person in the Trinity, which we don't, we don't focus on that enough, of the power of the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Uh, St. Irenaeus talks about the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus as the two arms of the Father working hand in hand, right? But after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit really becomes the, the primary agent by which God's life is communicated. Mary's motherhood and guidance are coextensive with the life of Christ. She says yes when he's born, and she's assumed into heaven after he ascends. So Mary is in heaven after that point forward. But we believe that Mary isn't just filled with grace, but she is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is actually the guide through Mary, through the person of the mother. So that's a perfect note to end on. It's a deeper insight, and it's a whole other talk. So invite me back next year, and we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. So, <laughs> Thanks, no, Father. thank you, Alex. Great job. Appreciate it. All right, let's give it up for Father John one more time. So we're done tonight. Uh, please feel free to hang out. Next time, uh, so September 15th, we'll have our next gathering at the Grotto. Uh, if you are not plugged into a church, if you don't know Jesus, this is a place you can ask questions. Uh, come to RCIA. Come learn your faith. Come build community. Uh, come closer to Mary. And, of course, Mary leads us to Jesus. So uh, thanks for being here tonight, and uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Let's close with the Hail Mary, huh? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if you can help us at the end of the night, we'll take chairs into the, the school building, but no worries, see you next time. <laughs>